0: So, I've been thinking about this week. I am—I always kind of love the Sunday after Easter. And this last Easter was was really good. Um, it was really encouraging to see some of the families from the from beyond the bell here, um, showing up and people visiting and friends that we'd seen and some of your family were here and it was great. Um, but it's also kind of a little bit stressful. I don't know if any of the rest of you feel like you know it's, it's Easter. It's lots of extra things happening and. I remember one of my uh, friends, a pastor and a professor, Daryl Johnson, was saying, you know, at his church, they kind of had like Second Easter, they called it, where they'd have the Sunday after the church, the congregation would celebrate Easter kind of as a family. And so I was thinking something about that, about how um, this Sunday is almost like our chance to just enjoy it together, to keep celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen. And like I mentioned already, technically we are still in the season of Easter. Uh, Easter will go until June 2nd this year, so seven weeks that we get to keep celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen. I've been trying to get a handle on it these last few days, uh, trying to get a handle on everything that comes with the fact that Jesus is risen, the fact that he is resurrected. And we get some broad strokes, um, some of the big ones, especially on Easter. The fact that Jesus rose again uh, means that death is defeated, that we have eternal life with him. It means that sin has been defeated through his death on the cross. Those are the big ones, sin, salvation, eternal life. But I also wanted to get at some of it this morning about the fact that Jesus' resurrection, it includes so much more than just that. As amazing as those two things are, Salvation from sin and life eternal, as amazing as those two are, Jesus' resurrection gives a whole lot more as well. Maybe some of you have been wondering about this or thinking about this this last week. What all happens when Jesus rose from the dead? Many of you have been following Jesus for a lot of years. And so I'm hopeful to remind you of some of the things that maybe um, get lost or, or to remind you of some of the amazing parts that happened when Jesus showed up with his disciples. Some of you are still pretty new at faith, and so this might be a new realization for you that not only did you receive a new life, redemption, adoption, hope, purpose, meaning, Jesus himself, the Holy Spirit, but you're going to see this morning that God has given us even some more. The thing is, Jesus' death and resurrection, it changes our lives, but also comes with these amazing gifts. And so I wanted to show you what I mean by that. So, if you would, open up your Bibles to John chapter 20, verse 19. Or if you want to, it's in your sermon guide here as well. Just open that up. Take a look at this. So, the passage begins with this it says, On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews. So, let's just get our bearings here. This is on the evening of the morning, of the day that Jesus rose from the dead. And it was actually, uh, I've been reading Dale Bruner's uh, commentary on John. And he, said, he started off this, this, um, his writing about this particular passage. as if this day could hold anything more. Not only has Jesus risen from the dead and appeared to Mary, um, but also now in the evening he comes. When the doors are locked, we're going to see that Jesus shows up here as well. This day is just packed. And it also says too here that this this door was locked for fear of the Jewish people, and that's um, I want to be really careful with that. And I don't hear actually any of it in our church family, but there are some Christians who think that that um, who use this as a reason to be cruel or unkind to Jewish people. This isn't uh, this isn't a verse about that. This is just saying that the Jewish leaders they were really wanted to make sure that Jesus, the movement that he had started, didn't get out. And so understandably they were afraid, but uh, as the church grew and became even um, more um, bigger and more powerful, that actually now we as Christians need to be careful that we um, care for Jewish people in our communities as well. All right, so then, the, then John tells us this. He says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, I'm going to save this best part for last. Okay, so we're going to come back to this part, but bear with me. I wanted to start here this morning, because Jesus says, uh, "Peace be with you." As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. I want to focus on this first part. That as the Father sent me, I think for just a second about how did the Father send Jesus? How did Jesus come? How's that? As a baby, right? Humbly. Yeah, not as uh, God, like you might think, like a great king riding on an amazing stallion or with a chariot and army behind him, but as a child, he came humbly. I was thinking some about how he came actually in body. You know, God could have kept his hands clean, so to speak, and just dropped a Bible from heaven. He could have dropped Proverbs He could have sent somebody else to do it, but God came himself and his son. He didn't just come with lessons and teachings and proverbs. He actually came and lived life in front of us. Jesus in a body, hugging people, touching people who were sick, praying for people, eating with people. God came as a person. I was thinking some about Isaiah 53, and it talked about how humbly he came. It said, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Reiterating the fact that Jesus didn't come with a lot of fanfare, that he came humbly in so many ways under the radar to come and establish, to announce this good news that God's kingdom had come. But he also came, God sent him out of love. I was thinking this week about earlier in John's Gospel, when Jesus is teaching Nicodemus and he said, for God so loved the world that he sent his son. God sent his son here because he loves you. Jesus came out of love. Not obligation, not resenting it, but because he loves us, because God loves us. He came out of love. And he entered into this hostile world, this world that was not ready for him. And those, when they did find out who he was or began hearing who he was, they wanted to try and kill him. I mean, think about it. I mean, even when he was a child, Herod sent troops. Sent troops to Bethlehem to kill every child under two years old. This world is hostile toward him, and yet Jesus, God the Son, still came. So this is how God sends his Son. He says, as God, as the Father has sent the Son, I am sending you. Jesus is speaking this to us, to the church, that we are sent people. We are a saved people and a sent people. That we too are supposed to go out of love. Jesus constantly commands us, especially in John's gospel, to love one another, to let the world know us by the way we love each other. To go out and to, we're sent, um, and maybe some of you might be thinking, like, sent to do what? One, to be present, to be incarnate, to live flesh, to live among people, to demonstrate faith by the way we live, but to serve people out of love for them, to be a blessing to people to help people who aren't expecting it. And then when that opportunity presents itself, or when we see that chance to proclaim this amazing news that Jesus is more than just a religious myth, that he's more than just a founder of some uh, philosophical way, that he actually is the Son of God who took on flesh, who lived among us, who died on a cross so that sin would no longer separate us from God, and then he rose again. So then we have that chance that we jump on it to proclaim this good news, to serve people, and to proclaim that Jesus is king, that he is risen. And like Jesus, we too are sent out into a world, we feel it more and more here in Canada, that doesn't really want to hear about Jesus. It doesn't want anybody telling them how to live. And so we too are sent out into a hostile world. Like wolves, like sheep among wolves, Jesus once said. That we're supposed to go out into a world like this. So I'm thinking about this, this last week is that Jesus begins by giving us a purpose. Bigger meaning. That we are part of God's great story of salvation not only included, like wrapped up in it, but then also because we have been saved, sent out as well. How quickly God changes us from those who receive to those who are part of the strategy to part of the story. To love and to serve and to proclaim the good news that Jesus saves and that his kingdom has come and that we have a new way to live because of it. So Jesus begins, so so this morning we're going to begin with purpose. Then he goes on to say, And with that he's breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now, we say breathe and breath, and um, it's interesting in Hebrew, ruach is the name or the word for spirit or breath and how they come together. And it kind of gathers or starts to emanate, come out of this deep promise that God made that one day he would give us a new heart. That he would give God's people a new heart. That he would fill them with his spirit. That God would dwell in them. This comes from Ezekiel chapter 26. It said, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. This deep promise was made hundreds of years before Jesus came. This idea, this promise of a new heart and a spirit that will allow us to follow God faithfully, to keep his laws and commands. Now, just as a reminder, this is God speaking through the prophet Ezekiel to a people who were in exile. Exile because of sin. And you start to see these subtle connections between Jesus giving us his spirit now as a return not from exile in Babylon, but a return from exile in sin. That God has brought us back to himself and filled us with his spirit. But Jesus didn't just stop there. Actually, Jesus told his disciples that he would give them this spirit. Jesus is speaking to them. This is the night before, the night that he was betrayed. He said, if you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. So, even Jesus was saying, I'm going to give you this spirit. You can trust me. But we also realize in John's gospel that Jesus had to go away before he could send that spirit. Again, I was reading Dale Bruner's commentary this week, and he made this amazing point, or this great point, this great observation, that Jesus gives this spirit as a free gift. You don't have to speak in tongues to get this gift. The disciples didn't earn it. They didn't do something. They didn't um, do the right things. Jesus just gave them the Spirit. This is a free gift for us when we begin believing in Him. And then He gets to this. He gets to the response. Our response is just to receive it. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to go through religious hoops. Just receive it. To acknowledge that God has sent his Spirit and begin living by the Spirit. Holy Spirit, please guide me. Holy Spirit, please help me to follow Jesus. Help me to realize who Jesus is even more profoundly than I already do. God, I've got this life. I'm trying to live for you. I'm trying to follow you. Holy Spirit, please guide me the spirit guides us and shows us who jesus is so it's hard to overstate it's hard to overstate just how important the holy spirit is for us this comforter this counselor this guide for our life the one who reveals jesus who reveals who he is and helps us then follow him it's hard to just make how it's hard to to put in words how important that is for us as followers of christ This morning, it's the second gift that he gives. He begins with purpose, and then he gives us this Holy Spirit. And then there's this last part here. uh, In verse 23, it's a little bit confusing, so I just want to take a minute to unpack it. The first is, um, he says, If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, as you read it that... As you read this passage right here, it can be maybe a little bit confusing thinking that we have some, some agency here or that we're the ones doing it. And this is a little bit technical. So for those of you who aren't in the big tech, like into the Greek and stuff like that, you can just, I'll tell you when to clue back in. <laughs> um, so the problem is when Jesus actually says this, the words that he says, he actually uses um, the perfect tense, meaning that these things have been done. But it's important for us to understand what he's saying here to unpack this, this, this text. And my point is that when we say you are forgiven to someone, so I as a pastor, someone talks to me about their sin and I say to them, you are forgiven. I'm not in some way affecting the forgiveness. I'm not in some way making it happen. I'm telling them that through Christ they are already forgiven. They have already been. Now, In the NIV, it's a little bit, uh, it's not quite as clear as that. And so I wanted to show you the NASB, which is another translation, a little bit more literal. Um, So you have these two side by side, same verse, 23. But here's the part I want you to focus on. In the NIV, it says they are forgiven. In the NASB, their sins have been forgiven. And the NASB um, is actually technically more correct. I don't want you guys to get too wrapped around or too deep in the weeds on this, but just to show that this has already happened. The forgiveness has already happened. And so when we tell someone that you are forgiven, it's not that we're somehow forgiving them or making it happen. We're reminding them or telling them that they are forgiven already in Christ. Okay? If you have more questions about this, come and ask me. Uh, If you're like, Jason, I don't understand. Uh, I'd love to help you with it. This is the last verse that Jesus is just trying to show us that we've been drawn into God's plan. That not only have we been saved, but now we are a part of the story. This is a part of the purpose that we've been talking about. Okay, now I want to get back to this. I want to get back to this first part. This first uh, part of this passage about Jesus. This is the part I've been waiting for. So he says this, Jesus came and stood among them. This whole passage is about Jesus and the fact that he showed up. Everybody thought that he had died. And we talked about this last week, that even his own disciples, none of them really expected him to rise again. I mean, his, like, Mary's at the tomb. She's like, She has to actually see Jesus physically before she actually believes it's him. She keeps asking everybody where have they put the Lord, they've taken him. She thinks someone stole him. The disciples are still in their room until she comes and gets them. Like, no one's expecting Jesus to rise again. And then he shows up right in the middle of them. As they're gathered that evening, a bit afraid, because they were his followers, they were afraid of repercussions, that that the religious authorities were going to come and stamp them out, eradicate any evidence that Jesus ever existed. And he shows up right in the middle of them. Now, I don't know about you and maybe this is just i don't know something that pastors do i don't think so but i dream of what it would be like to see him in person uh, just to touch him just to kneel in front of him and touch his feet to hug him to say lord i have been waiting for this for a long time i dream of it Imagine how different our faith would be. (laughs) How much stronger it would be if we could say, you know, it's not just faith that I'm here. Actually, I've seen him. I've touched him. I've held him. I've had him put his arm around me and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Imagine how different, how much more powerful that could be in our lives. I think about it some. And, you know, it's... uh, I don't know, one day. One day you'll see that. Now, even some of the disciples had trouble following Jesus, had trouble believing. A little bit later, actually, the next part of John's gospel, 24 to 30, I think it is, talks about how John saw the disciples and said, unless I touch Jesus, unless I touch the holes, see the holes in his hands and touch his side, you can't convince me. And then eight days later, the next Sunday, Jesus shows up in the middle of them again, and Thomas sees him. And Thomas goes from, I won't believe unless I see, to saying, my Lord and my God, which is one of the highest, most theologically (laughs) divine statements about Jesus in all of John's gospel. So he goes from unbelief to one of the most profound statements about Jesus in the whole gospel. And Jesus said, You know, Thomas, you've believed because you've seen, because you've touched. Okay. But blessed are those who believe even though they've never seen. And so I think for the rest of us here this morning, as much as we would love to see Jesus, we also maybe take heart in this blessing that we believe and we are here this morning even though we haven't seen and touched him, at least not physically So Jesus shows up right in the middle of them. And when he shows up, he brings peace. But actually twice he says this, Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Shalom alachem. Peace be with you. And I was thinking about this some, about how this peace is like in a moment. So you can imagine the disciples are pretty uneasy, like, Jesus, we weren't expecting this at all. And you're standing right in the middle of us, we're a bit terrified already, and now we're even more freaked out. And So maybe Jesus is saying, peace be with you, it's okay, be calm. But I can't help but saying, and actually in John's gospel, it's, it's in the next passage as well, he says, peace be with you. So it's three times in these short few verses where Jesus says, peace be with you. And I think it's something bigger than just calm for the moment. I think it's actually more like God's shalom, the fullness of God's peace for the rest of their lives. This peace that pervades our lives. This new way to live. This settled way to live. This confident way to live. This peaceful way to live. So not only did Jesus show up himself, not only did he bring peace, but he also brings proof. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. He said, look at this. And we see Jesus' real body still. He wasn't a ghost He wasn't a vision. He wasn't just a voice. It was his real body with holes in his hands and a wound in his side. You see his risen body. And it took some time for theologians after that to realize some amazing things. And just one of them is that there's some continuity between this life and eternity. Oftentimes, Christians, we can tend to think like, oh, faith really kicks in once I die. Actually, we are already living eternal life right now. The life we live right now, it matters. And we continue on with him. So we see this amazing part of Jesus that he's actually here. So Jesus brings peace, proof, and joy. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, try to imagine just the turn of events here, okay? So, before Jesus shows up, um, if you remember from last week, uh, Peter and John, we're not sure exactly where Peter what came out. Um, though he did marvel at it based on the other Gospels. John, it says that, the, and it's probably John who's writing this Gospel, he believed, he saw the linens lying there and he believed, but we're not sure about the rest of the disciples. And so they're wondering, what's happening here? Has everything failed? Have, has, the, has the Messiah been killed? Has their teacher, the guy that they'd loved and the guy they'd followed for years, has he been killed? Is the movement dead? All of these levels of death. And then Jesus stands in the middle of them. And all of their doubts, all of the mourning, everything gets turned on its head and they begin rejoicing, seeing that he is alive. One, their teacher, this guy who they had connected to for for almost three years now, who they had lived with and followed and learned from, they see that he's alive and so they're already ecstatic about that. But then they also begin to realize the implications that he's not just a great teacher. He's actually the Mashiach, the Messiah, the Savior that people have been waiting for. And this movement, these things that he had been teaching, they start to realize that they're true. And they're not just true, but they change lives. And so they start celebrating based on what God has done. They really begin to see it here. So this morning we see that Jesus... I've saved the best for last. He is the ultimate gift here, His presence. And with Him, He brings peace, proof, best of all, joy, realizing who He is. We also realize that He is with us, that Jesus is present, that the resurrection is real, that the cross worked. We are right with God again. And that we have salvation through him and eternal life. And so when Jesus comes, we see these three gifts. And I started thinking some about about how we have Jesus as the source. He's the beginning of this passage, so to speak. He's the one where everything starts. And then he starts talking with us about purpose. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. But he doesn't just send us on our own, go figure it out. He actually provides us with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is the foundation of it. The one from everything comes, this purpose. We've been drawn into God's great story, and then he gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us in it, to help us in it, to help us realize who he is, to know what we should do, to know how to do it, and the strength to carry it through. These are the gifts, just like a, like a glimpse. This is just the, the next part of John's gospel to start seeing how Jesus has gifted us. The amazing gifts he's given us and the fact that he's been risen again. I've been thinking about it this week, about how much I want those of us who've been following Jesus for a while to be reminded that Jesus' resurrection is the greatest gift <laughs> Better than dirt bikes and unicorns and stuffies and He is the greatest gift. And yet when He comes, He provides He brings even more gifts. And it's hard to overstate it. What He's done. That through Him we have this purpose, this meaning, this mission that we've all been included into. And the Holy Spirit. This one who guides us and shows us what to do, the one who shows us how to follow him faithfully and then gives us the power to do it. And also this is that the Holy Spirit is actually God in us. Throughout the Old Testament, there are places where God says that he will live with his people. The Holy Spirit is a reminder that God isn't just living with us, he's living in us. This is good news this morning whether you've been following Jesus for a couple of uh, months or a year, or if you've been following for Jesus longer than I've been alive, this is amazing news for us. That Jesus is risen, and when he comes with his people, he brings gifts. Himself, an amazing purpose, and his Holy Spirit. Amen.